Welcome to the Develop in the Dark podcast, brought to you by New Spring Church. We'll prepare you with biblical truths to help you meet the demands of your reality. Today, friends, we're going to be talking about salvation, and we're going to be talking about assurance. Can we be confident in our salvation? You know, sometimes people think that you never doubt, but the Bible is full of doubters, and we're going to talk about how we can overcome doubt and become more confident in who God has called us to be. What does it mean to be saved? How can we know for sure? We're praying for you as you work through this content and as you develop in the dark. All right, Brad, we're back again in Develop in the Dark. Man, this has been so fruitful. Last time we talked about all things identity, sin, and how we can identify as a yeah. saint. So I just, want, I just want to say out there to our listeners, how are you, saints? It's That's good to right. see you. That's and right. uh, Trev, you're looking good. You're looking scientific I'm, today. I'm looking sainty. Sainty? Saint, yeah. Saintified? You're either a saint or you ain't. There you go. And I'm a saint. And so. we got some saints up in here. But today, Trev, we're going to get around, you know, once we've stepped into this new identity, one of the things that we've got to develop in our space is we've got to understand salvation. Mm. And the idea of being born again mm. and the idea of am I saved and people Am I still saved? Am I still saved? People Mm. everywhere, you know, want to get around what happens to me after we die. Mm, There's so much here. Um, Very practically, people are people doubt their salvation. I love that. There's a little bitty verse in Jude Mm. that says, "Have mercy on those who doubt." And if you're the kind of person that thinks Christians don't doubt, boy, I. I doubt you, you know? <laughs> Can, does it blow your mind that this morning I read Jude in my time with the Lord? Did you really? Yeah, I sure did. That's, that's, that's where I was this morning. Uh, the Bible is full of doubters. Yep. Um, Lots of them throughout Ab- all time. I think about Abraham and Sarah, Moses, Gideon. God comes to Gideon and says, hey, man of valor. While and, he's down in a pit. You know, he's a pit, you know, yeah. He's down, he's down there threshing wheat in a, mm. in a wine uh, pit. And he's you like, know? Who, are, who are you talking to? There's a lot of <laughs> doubt there. Peter doubted. Yeah. Uh, John the Baptist is a classic case of doubt. It's like, is there somebody else coming? Are you the right one? You know why I like John the Baptist and his doubts? It, I think it shows us the nature and character of God, that God is not intimidated by our doubts. Mm that he actually welcomes them. Mm. And John the Baptist teaches us where to take our doubts. Take some right to Jesus. He does. Are you the one or is there another? Yeah. Mm. And then Jesus turns around and answers him, but then he also leaves him in the prison cell. And then he turns around and tells the crowd that he's talking to that day, there will be no greater man born of woman than John the Baptist. And so doubting is not a bad thing. That's right. Yeah. There's the prototypical doubter in the New Testament, which is old Thomas. He yeah. gets a bad rap. Yeah, he? I feel like we're going to be blown away when we meet Thomas and we realize how incredible he was because, yeah, he's known as you know Thomas the Doubter. Yeah. Yeah. He gets a little bit of a reputation as an Eeyore-type figure, too. Well, let us just go to Jerusalem and die. Yeah, you know? but I just think it was he was one of these people that wanted tangible, uh, what C.S. Lewis called quittable, wanted to touch and see the scars. And then you know what? Thomas Church History tells us went to India, mm. carried the gospel to the people in that nation, in that place in the earth, and died there. Mm. I mean, he he got his doubts yeah. resolved, and he lived it out. That's right. Kind of the final illustration or example to me is these two on the road to Emmaus. And yeah. I, the reason I love this, when Jesus comes to him and says, why do you doubt? Why do you fear? And there is the risen Christ. So he is- But they pres- don't know it. Pre- but he, he is presenting himself to them. Uh, I just love that. But doubts are- they're, they really 
run parallel to our Christian faith, we're all at some point going to doubt. Yeah, I just would like to say one of the things that I believe is that God has fatherly filtered our doubts Mm. and that our doubts are meant to lead us and we get to decide where we take them. Mm. And I just want to encourage you where I've been encouraged to take mine, bring them to Jesus because he's not intimidated by our doubts. And as a matter of fact, many times it is our doubts that lead us to new revelation and new epiphany and new worship of God and, right. and new depths of stealing our souls. And many times it takes walking in a season of wilderness with the Spirit. You know, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Yeah, sometimes you're bumping up against a ceiling of doubt. And if you'll be patient with yourself, with others, You'll break through that ceiling, and that ceiling becomes your floor for your next level. No, I'll, I'll personal story here. My wife and I, we've been blessed with three children. And I remember we lost two children uh, in utero, you know, mm. miscarriage. And I remember the pain of that season, so painful, and having doubts. But then working through those, it was not clean But it was beautiful to see what God did through the faith that he grew in our marriage and in our trust of him and the worship that flowed out of our life when we held our next child. Wow. And that's what doubt does. God uses it, and it can till up some really good soil so that we have a deeper levels of trust in Him. And that's what I'm believing for some of our listeners. Yeah, There's certainly different reasons people doubt. You just mentioned one of those reasons, which is you're gone, you've gone through a very difficult yeah, season pain. or current suffering yeah. or that kind of thing. Uh, it could be that folks doubt because they really are questioning their salvation experience. Maybe they grew up in a religious environment and they need to question their, their salvation. Was that real? That, was yeah. that real? Sometimes it's a misunderstanding of the finished work of Jesus. Like, can Jesus really take care of that past thing that I've got in my well, background? There's also some there's some some traditions in Christianity that teach once you've become a follower of Christ, you're perfect and you mm. never will sin again. And mm. I just completely reject the New Testament mm. rejects that. Peter, John, all kinds of disciples following Christ, even after they've confessed him to be the Messiah, they make mistakes and they sin. Right. You know, Paul writes about it in Romans. Mm. He, you know, that, so we're not going to have this perfectionism is right. what that's known as. Right. So sometimes our own sinfulness or our own inability to do the things we desire to do. Well, we even talked about that last episode, yeah. the idea that you and I, we're declared righteous, we're declared, you know, without sin, but in our identity and in our nature. But then there's sin that we're working through to become more and more like. Yeah, Jesus. that's why John writes. He says, "You'll purify yourself," mm-hmm. and so that's what we're. Gonna I talk think some about people, there. some people uh, doubt because they just have a predisposition to worry and fear and anxiety. I know a lot of people like that that they're just naturally questioning and skeptical and doubting. But it's not that they're just doubting their faith; they doubt and fear everything. So, are you talking about that, or are you talking about here's another aspect, or maybe it's a facet of it? Cynicism. Mm. Like even in the way we're educated today, we're told to come to something and begin I think questioning. Those are, subtly, those are subtly different. I think yep. cynicism is kind of like philosophical squinting, mm-hmm. one person <laughs> called it. You know, you're just squinting all the time. This is more of just by nature, I'm a worry wart. Yep. And uh, and I f- and I'm fearful. Yeah. But I'm fearful about everything. When my kids drive away, I'm fearful that they're going to be in a wreck. I'm fearful about this. I'm fearful about that. And I'm fearful of my salvation. Yeah. So sometimes we see skepticism and cynicism make their way in. I just do want to say that post-enlightenment, this idea of critical theory has taught us now Mm. to come to anything that is true, 
and ask questions. Oh, yeah. yeah and so you're just called, be critical. Come mm-hmm. in and start pushing and probing and seeing. And, and so because of that, we're actually nurtured into doubt mm-hmm. sometimes. That's right. An entire culture. That's right. Yeah. Uh, it could be habitual sin. You're stuck in that, and that causes you to doubt. It could be just a dry relationship. You know, that everyday relationship sometimes needs to be invigorated. Yeah. I found in, in my own life sometimes when... Um, my doubts have arisen, I begin to reflect how consistent have I been with my daily disciplines? And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That affection for the Lord has trailed away because I've not stirred up the, the gift and the fire in me through these daily disciplines. And so that that's definitely a possibility as well. Amazing. But, yeah. So what we want to do for the next few minutes is we just want to, we want to give you some fuel um, for your assurance, for your confidence in your salvation. And we feel like the way to do that is just to talk about all the things that God has done to bring you to himself. Talk about uh, all the things that are involved in salvation. Uh, Brad, when you and I use the word salvation from a stage uh, or we say things like people get saved, it's time to raise your hand if you want salvation, uh, we tend to think about salvation very narrowly, don't we? Yeah. But then when we're reading the Bible, the Bible uses the word saved, salvation, in a much broader sense. And so sometimes well, we'll stumble over a word and we're like, wow, is that part of our salvation as well? I'm thinking about 2 Corinthians 5.17. I'm a new creation. The old is gone, the new the is gone. The old is gone, but sometimes it still feels like the old is there. We've talked about that before. Or... Here's a classic passage. You'll be saved if you endure to the end. Huh. And you're I thinking, thought I was saved. Right. And what do you so, mean I will be saved? Exactly. Another one, we're almost, it's almost drilled into us that we're, we're not saved by our works, but then Thessalonians tells us we're saved through sanctification. So what? Mm. You know, the Bible is using uh, the word salvation in a much broader way, and it's almost like a big cup of salvation, and we just sip a little bit of it. When we think about salvation just as the moment you raise your hand or the the moment Jesus comes into your heart, we're just taking a little sip. But there's really a full cup, and you get to drink it to the dregs. Yeah, so I'll just talk out loud for a minute here, because I think this is really, in the tradition I grew up in, we have and have had kind of a classic idea of salvation, and here's a really nerdy phrase, as a punctiliar salvific moment. Okay. It just means a... Break break it down for us. Punctiliar. It just means a point in time, that there was a point in time where I'm saved. Mm. And for me, I can remember that point in time where I confessed Jesus is Lord. I was born again. Some of us have had those emotional kind of um, Damascus Road salvation moments. But then Mm -hmm. others, uh, probably famously, um, Billy Graham's wife uh, Mm -hmm. had one of these that was kind of more over time. Mm -hmm. And I want us to recognize that though we might have had a punctiliar moment... We raised a hand, we walked in relationships begin. Yeah, we begin. But that the way the Bible talks about salvation, it's a longer journey where I am saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. Mm. I am saved, justification. You did a great job talking about that last time. Mm. I am being saved, sanctification. I'm walking into purity, walking into holiness, and I will be saved, glorification. Mm. That it's kind of three sides to this salvation moment, and that God is doing all of that, and that my job in time and space here is I am walking that out. I'm getting, and yeah, I got saved at nine, and many Mm. times... 
I, I deal with people pastorally that they want to know, well, was that real or not? I mean, mm. I was only nine. I was only 13. It was a it was a summer camp moment. But I just ask, but as best you can remember, were you responding authentically to the good news of Christ when you were 13 or 7 or 9 or 15? Mm. And as best you could understand it, were you responding to the grace of God? Well, yeah, I was. Well, then I would say that's the beginning of your salvation journey. But mm. here's something crazy. God was doing work long before long that moment. Before, and he's continuing to work in you. Yeah. So what are some of those Bible things that God was doing before? Yeah, that's what we need to talk about. Yeah. It. And it's almost, it's almost as if as you're reading through the text of the Bible, you'll bump into these words. Yep. And they will become like, whoa, what, what am I, what's going on here? We want to give you almost like a Bible glossary. So that when you're developing in the dark, you run into one of these words, you're understanding this is part of what God is doing in bringing me to himself. This is part of salvation. This is all of the work that's happening behind the scenes, before the scenes, after the scenes, to bring us into a saving yeah, knowledge. we were born in a point in time, but the reality is God was doing something before that. One of my favorite quotes is God is up to 10,000 things in your life currently. And you know how many of them? And you might know about two of them right, right now. And so this is kind of getting at that other 9,998 things God was right. doing. And here's just some of those words. Right. The New Testament has them all over it. And know that we're only going to touch on these. We're going to give you some resources to dive in further in each one of these. And I'll say this too. Almost every one of these has controversy behind it. Sure. Within the Christian world, there's different takes on how these work. We're not getting into all those controversies No, today. but these are Bible words. Mm -hmm. And so because they are Bible words, we all need to know every Christian believes these words are true. That's exactly they just right. maybe have a different definement or breadth of this definition. Or a refining of the definition. There you go. Exactly. Perfect. All right. So we'll start with one that's not very controversial at, at all. all. No. God predestined us. Now, that is fairly controversial, but know this, and this is, I'm stealing straight from our good friend, R.C. Sproul, who we love. And everybody should love, in my opinion. And he definitely believed in predestination. He sure did. He sure did. He would say, that every Christian denomination believes in predestination, every one of them, because it's a Bible word. Yeah. It's in the Bible. Ephesians, Ephesians 1 exactly. is the first place it comes to mind. Exactly. Yeah. So the question is not, do you believe? I don't believe in predestination. Yeah, you believe in predestination. The controversy is on what's, how do you define how that plays out? And I'll just give you very quickly the two views on that. One is that God looks down the corridor of time, and he sees what you would freely choose on your own, and he chooses you based on what you freely choose. That's kind of a, the, the first way of thinking about that. There's a whole different cap that thinks God predestines us based on just solid his choice, uh, the, his own intuition and and the counsel his of his own, godness. Yeah, his counsel of his will, right? Yeah. So we're not getting into which one of those is right today, but just know um, the the big point here is if you would get your head into this, instead of avoiding it, it would give you so much confidence because what it says is that God is working before you know he's working. Yeah, C.S. Lewis had something, and this is kind of beautiful, that he recognized he became a convert. He was an atheist, 
publicly an atheist, mm-hmm. but he looked back at his life before he met Jesus, and he began to see God's hand at work in his childhood, Man. where he he didn't know it was God, but he would feel and sense and could look back to these moments where he should have been scared, and he wasn't, felt mm-hmm. like he wasn't alone, where he, he didn't know why that happened the way it happened, but it did. And as he looked back in the corridor of his life, in his time, he saw, man, God was at work sovereignly, long before I knew who he was in a salvation kind of awareness, mm. he was shaping and forming my life so that I might know him. Yeah. So that's pretty God, cool. God's working out a plan. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing, and uh, there's nothing sneaking up on him, right? Amen. I just love that. The second one is God elected us, which is kind of related to the first point. But you know, in the Old Testament, you'll hear about uh, the children of Israel. Yeah. They were the elect, or in the New Testament, Paul's talking about the elect, or work out your salvation uh, to make your calling and election sure, yeah. right? So it's it's used by Peter, it's used by John, like, you know, John's writing to to the elect lady and her and her children. You know what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. it's a Bible word, and it's there, and it's kind of in that same space that God's working right. uh, in, in the background. That lovely illustration I like is, you know, based on what did he choose the children of Israel, based on what did he choose you? Imagine you're talking to your wife, and she says, why'd you choose me, babe? And you say, because you cooked good, or because you're wealthy, or because whatever the because is, is not going to lead you down a, a good no, path. No, 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 it's not at all. Right? You you don't love her for any particular reason in her. You That reason resides in you. I love my wife. Why? I love my wife. To me, that's a great example of there's nothing in us that yeah, th- would make Yeah, think it. about this. God didn't love us because of our loveliness. Mm-hmm. He loves us because he is love itself. You're right. Right? And so he is not moving towards our fragrance of goodness, mm-hmm. our loveliness. He's coming at us because he has elected us in love. That's right. God called us. So the gospel goes out in a call. And we hear about this in lots of places in the New Testament, uh, but Romans 8 those whom he predestined, he also called. So you and I were called. The gospel call goes out maybe in a message, but something happens sometimes when, when a person hears that message, that call goes right down in our heart. No, that's right. And this is probably the first time that we become aware that there's mm. something going on in this gospel salvation moment. It may be that the Lord starts to speak to us through a lyric of a song, through his creation, through a preacher. And we go, man, I sense, I some sense, stirring in I me. sense something's happening. I'm getting caught. And that is, that's part of the gospel call. Mm, yeah. I love it. God regenerates us. Yeah. What a, that's a big word. Yeah. Go I, unpack I, that a little well, bit. Well, I just this that, that we're born again, but mm-hmm. that God does the work. I think one of the truths here that we've got to reckon with is we don't cause ourselves to be born. Mm-hmm. And if you think about a baby, again, I've I've got 3 of them and uh, none of my children caused themselves to be born. They were brought into the world, mm. and there was other action that caused them to be born, and that's the truth of the gospel, mm. that we we don't first move towards God. He first moves towards right. us, and he regenerates us. Yeah, the scripture tells us that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And, and dead people God, don't move. Right, and then God <laughs> made us alive with Christ even when we were dead. Now, I will say that that is controversial, what yeah. we're saying right there, because there is a whole camp of people that think conversion happens— which is, 
I place my faith and trust in Christ, and then I'm regenerated. And then there's a whole other camp that says you're regenerated, and then you're converted. So we don't put stakes in the ground there, but just know mm -hmm. that uh, regeneration is a part of this move. And the the classic place in the New Testament where this is talked about, John chapter 3 with old Nick. Yeah, Nicodemus, he comes to Jesus at night, and he says, what what must somebody do? I must be born again. That's the idea of of being regeneration. Now, Now, we've already reference this, but we're converted. And converted is is not just believing in faith, but it's confessing and repenting. Yes. Now, when I think about belief, I just want to say that we use the word belief in so many different ways in English that it becomes confusing. I believe God, but I believe Taco Tuesdays are awesome. Yeah, so we use, we use the language of belief in such a broad way that sometimes it's not super clear. When the New Testament talks about belief, it's talking about not only we know the facts about our faith, we not only agree that the facts are true, but we are placing our trust in things we have good reasons to believe. The word belief and the word faith are almost synonymously used. They're translated belief or faith, but they're this, they're translating this usually the same Greek word, which is pistos. Yeah. And f- to believe or to have faith means to, you know, I know I know the chair. I know the facts of the chair. I agree that the chair can hold me, but believing is the act of placing your weight on the chair. Yeah, and this is where you get this idea of I place my faith in Christ. And so mm-hmm. you think about the the reformation here, one of the reasons that this was an occurrence is because there was a breadth here of what you believed believe meant, mm-hmm. right? That I'm going to place my faith in Christ, Ephesians 2, that is by faith we have been saved, is by belief we have been saved. But then there was a whole nother set of uh Christians at the time that said that Faith is going to lead to an action of obedience. And so this is where this idea of conversion has got a breadth in the Christian classical space. But mm-hmm. Protestants say, hey, solo fide, by faith you have been saved, by faith alone. That's right. Right, in Christ alone. And part of this uh, conversion experience is when you confess and repent. So um, the churches that we grew up in, they would have altar calls. One of the, the ways people th- think they might be sure is they can think back at a moment where they came forward maybe in vacation Bible school or something like that. Yeah. Um, really, the what you want to drive down is, was there a moment where you repented of your sin and you believed? Not did I come down at vacation Bible school with everybody. That may have been when it happened. Um, you know, for me as a young kid, I'm, I'm very young, like five and a half. I go forward in a revival message. The guy that met me down front, takes me in a room with a bunch of other people who are, who've who come down front and just takes me through, hey, did you admit, and I'm five and a half, did you admit that you've done wrong things, that you're a sinner? You, did you believe that Jesus lived, died, rose again to forgive you of your sin, and are you committing your life 100% past, present, future to Jesus? And I remember that conversation, and I've carried that with me, but the, the idea of assurance comes not from some punctillary moment, as you say, but did you believe and did you confess and repent? Yeah. And so this is why it's a big, big deal that you're not just simply getting what's quote called fire insurance here, Mm because who wouldn't want to, no, I don't want to go to hell. I believe in Jesus. No, no, no. When you follow Jesus with the belief that the New Testament talks about, you leave your sinful life 
behind. That's you place right. your faith in him. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but it does mean you're going to begin to walk that out for the rest of your life. Right. Yep. Um, this next one, we've talked about this a little bit already in our previous episodes, so we won't belabor this, but God justifies us, he adopts us, and he sanctifies us. Yeah, and I think that you mentioned this beautiful metaphor. It's like that moment when you're standing before a judge. If you've ever been to an adoption, you've seen this. We had a good friend just this week had this happen in their family, right. and they actually went before a judge, and the brother and sister that they had been fostering were actually declared by the judge to now be a part of their family. The gavel drops, their name changes, they are forever brought into this family. So once and for all, they're declared to be a part of the family. But now Mm. for the rest of their life, they'll be learning what being a part of that family means, how to act like they're a part of that family. And that's the idea of justification. Right. And and as you think about sanctification, what this this sanctification idea... um, we are partnering with the Holy Spirit to bring about um, our growth. So whereas God does justification and it's instantaneous and it's all his work, we have a part to play in sanctification. Um, the Holy Spirit is empowering us through spiritual disciplines, uh, replacing you know, lies with the truth of God's word. And in community, we do all that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're partnering with God in growing to become more like Jesus. That's it. And then the finish line that we're all looking towards is this final work of glorification. That's right. And uh, that's in heaven. None of us will see it on this side of eternity, but we look forward to the space where there are no tears, mm. no more sin. And and here's, here's the way I like to think about these last three we just talked about. These are all P's. It's super easy to remember, and it has to do with sin. Okay, justification, that's where the penalty for sin was dealt with. Great. Sanctification, that's where the power of sin is overcome. And then glorification, that's where the presence of sin goes away completely. Wow. And so if you think about where sin is, that's a really great way to think about the power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the power of his ascension is when I become a Christ follower, I am justified and no longer do I face the penalty of sin. Now that I'm walking that out as a Christ follower, I am walking in the power of the cross. And so now I'm overcoming my own sinful nature. Mm. And then I look forward to the actual presence of sin going away altogether. No more sin, no more death, and nothing that those things grew. And as you're thinking about the gospel there, you're considering the resurrection of Jesus as this first movement in our glorification. That's why Jesus is called firstborn from among the dead. And you're reading the Bible sometimes and you're like, well, He's not the first person to rise from the dead because Lazarus did it. And I saw people, even in the Old Testament, that were, but Jesus is the first of, of a kind. Yeah, right? the firstborn to resurrect to eternal life because Lazarus died never, twice. Mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> His body is never going to decay or, or go away. And that's the hope that we have in glorification that you and I, when we die on earth, death being our the last moment of sanctification here, our bodies go to the ground. We go to be our spirit. Our soul goes to be with the Lord immediately. But when Jesus returns, um, we're going to be made new, made new, and our bodies are going to be made new. And God is not just saving our souls. He's saving our whole person, yeah. right? And we're going to be embodied people yep. for all eternity in the new kingdom. Amen. What a beautiful thing to and wrap Salvation is a really big deal. And it's a full cup. If you drink it and drink all of it, you're going to see all that God's doing, and you're going to be more and more confident in your faith. Yeah. Well, last thing I want to make sure we get a hold of here is Jesus doesn't just save us 
and then free us from the power of sin and then redeem us to our lives. But you know, one of the other beautiful things that he does that you see in scripture, Trev, he's not just saving individuals, he's saving people, Mm. a whole people. And the Bible actually talks about he's saving a family. Wow. And that we're going to look forward to being with brothers and sisters for eternity, every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And so one of the things that we do now as the church is we begin to reenact and we begin to look forward to the family of God that we'll be with forever. That's Mm. why we come out every week and we gather with the saints to our right and left. So I hope you'll gather this week and you'll reenact heaven as we look forward to that new kingdom. That's so good. Well, that's all the time we have for today. And as you're developing in the dark and you're building confidence, we're praying that you will just remind yourself of God's character, remind yourself of Jesus's work on the cross, of all the things that he's done to bring you himself. And you'll preach the gospel to yourself this week uh, and and recount some of these glossary words of salvation. They're going to build your confidence. So a blessing to you as you develop in the dark. Have a great week. We love you. Thanks for listening to Develop in the Dark. We hope that today's episode will help the light in you shine brighter than the light on you. 